Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 929, air date April 8, 2021. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm about to do an interview to really talk about how the systems of power distract and divide you and what must be done. As many of you know, uh, when you go to vashiva.com, we're running a platform to number one, educate people on a systems approach to understanding how the world works. Number two, to build community independent of big tech and what you can do in your local communities. Without those three things, no movement's gonna take place, but it begins with getting educated or being enslaved. Let me also start up uh, uh, Instagram here. So we're gonna have that discussion and uh, we're gonna do it with Riz, but uh, we're gonna, it's basically essentially gonna be a conversation we're gonna have to really help people understand these fundamental concepts. Most young people today, in my opinion, uh, have been so made ignorant uh, where they do not uh, have not studied history of what took place in the 1900s, the late 1800s. And um, uh, the the massive effort that's being done to essentially uh, bind people to economic systems essentially is a way that people are being silenced right now on most of this media. And uh, there is a way forward and it is a way forward that comes with understanding a systems approach. And that's what we're going to talk about. There is the establishment has gotten so powerful, particularly since the 1970s, because people stopped fighting. And more, and we'll talk about that. And more importantly, over the last 50 years, the establishment got very, very clever on using system science, which probably about a couple thousand people know, on how to manipulate people through many, many different ways to ensure that people get distracted and divided. So um, having said that, let me bring, we'll have our interview here. I think, um, I think I can do a gallery view here and start. So let's go right into this. Go ahead, Riz. So we can start. Go ahead. Hold on. I can't hear you. Go ahead. Go ahead. So you've been, you've been largely successful at, at solving a lot of problems in society today. And um, I want to touch on your journey into systems and, and how you became uh, aware of this topic and how you've been using it to uh, educate others on how to uh, fix their problems in, in uh, society. Yeah, it's a good question. So let me begin by, first of all, helping people understand that um, in 1962, you know, uh, John Kennedy gave a very interesting speech at the National Academy of Sciences. You can find it. Um, it's not that well known. And the speech basically went like this. He's speaking to around 2,500 scientists and he's saying, look, the problems of the world have become so complex, you know, very complex systems, right? Transportation systems, healthcare systems, weapon systems. You look at all these very complex problems. And he was saying the conundrum of democracies that we rely on you, this very small group of scientists to help uh, tell me what to do, right? Politicians. And this is a problem we're at because um, systems have in fact become complex. And because, uh, because of a lack of understanding of how to handle those complex systems, we outsource our decision-making to maybe five people. Those five people are the top five presidents of the major universities. And starting in 1971, what occurred was with the passage of the Mansfield Amendment, large amounts of money, which was dedicated for basic research, got moved to the National Science Foundation and the NIH which means science was essentially controlled by two political institutions. So the, the immune system is a very complex system. 
the climate system is a very complex system. So all of these systems are very complex. Now to actually understand complex systems, you have to take what's called a systems science approach, which really was developed in the 1930s in the field of cybernetics. And then it started to evolve far, I mean, it actually existed far before that. My research across my four degrees at MIT in engineering systems. And when I finished my PhD, I made a major discovery showing that the principles of system science not only go back to the 1930s, they go back around 10,000 years where the entire Indian systems of Indian medicine weren't even a medical system. They were actually based on these engineering principles. When I finished that in 2007, I came uh, 2009, my Fulbright, I came back to MIT and I created a course called, you know, um, systems biology and traditional systems of medicine. Another course I created, which was the most popular elective at MIT at the time was called systems visualization, where we would take uh, students at MIT, each one would take a very complex system. And they had to essentially during the course of the term use four different um, uh, curricula that I developed. One was educating people on what, what are called, um, uh, how to understand the relationships between systems. Uh, next was data, right, data mining. Next was how to do narrative storytelling and how to take a very complex story and congeal it into let's say a one-liner. And then people would do, they'd either make a movie or they'd do a, a very cool infographic. But it was a way to teach them a very powerful way to do this. And it's a it's what is needed right now. But without a systems scientific approach, nothing's going to move forward in terms of building a movement. So for me, you know, that journey begins, you know, all the way back in India when I was, you know, uh, my parents moved here when I was seven years old. Um, but before that, India has a caste system. OK. And what is that caste system? It is the most. Uh, I would say it's probably one of the most insidious forms of both slavery as well as racism combined. It's both mixed together. And the caste system basically says, whatever family you're born into, you will do a certain job for the rest of your life. So my family are supposed to be coconut pickers, right? That goes back. So if you're born into street cleaners, that's where you're supposed to do. If you're born into a Brahmin family, then you get to be the elite, okay? So your birth determined your destiny. Now, the fact that my parents, both my mom and dad got educated, my, were extraordinary, one in a trillion to the power of a trillion because of their sheer will and grit of my two incredible parents. But that's what allowed them to get educated and come to the United States. But as a kid, I experienced a caste system and I was very, very interested, even as a four-year-old, like why did this system exist? What was the history? So I started reading every book I could understand on revolutionary history, the Russian revolution as a kid the Cuban revolution, the American revolution, because I wanted to understand systems of change. And I'm curious how they are able to keep a hold on that system. Like is, is the, is there a large, does a large part of it have to do with the consent of the majority or am I wrong there? Is that, y yeah. do they, they have a system down where there's no way that you can escape that system. Well, I, I think the reality is, um, you, you know, these systems of power exist because people forget the history. There is a science to destroying these kinds of systems or building a new system. Look, there is a science to flying an airplane, right? For centuries, people thought we would never overcome gravity, right? For centuries, people thought we would always live in darkness, right? And it took yeah. um, many, many, it took science. It took the discovery of electromagnetism, 
theory. It took the discovery of Bernoulli's principle. When we figured out that when you have a, you know, a lift can occur from a normal force, then you had Bernoulli's principle, people started building airplanes. But up until before they knew that science, people were just like building these wacky wings, remember? And then throwing them off cliffs and, and they would just die, right? Um, and people say, oh, I guess we can never fly. That is an impossible thing to do. Or, well, you can never create a light bulb, right? Well, engineers and inventors like Edison kept trying over and over and they used physics and science. Where we are at today is people are saying, well, you know, I guess you can't change the world. They're so powerful. I'm just gonna run my little garden. I'm gonna live off the grid. I'm gonna go away here, right? I'm gonna, oh, Trump is great. Bernie's great, left and right. And this has been the long march of human history, which is from all the way from slavery. How do you break the bonds of the fact that a small percentage of people, very small, control the masses of people? How do they do it psychologically, emotionally, economically, financially? Well, that's what my life has been about because I grew in that background. So here's me growing up in the caste system of India. And I also grew up in an India where my grandmother was a, was a healer. She worked 15 hours a day in the fields, but on the weekend, she was the village shaman. All these millions of villages all over India always had a woman who was a healer. And she practices another system called the Siddha, which was a traditional system of Indian medicine. And using that system, she could observe your face. And based on observing your face, she could predict your body's particular constitution versus mine. And then you would, she would figure out the right system of foods, herbs that were right for you. Okay. So I was fascinated how this woman with no degrees was able to do this. So when my family moved here in 19. 70 on my seventh, seventh birthday, those were the two things that I left India with, wanting to understand why this caste system existed and how this woman was able to heal people, which I saw her empirically do. So my journey was highly intertwined with political systems as in terms of wanting to be a fighter, a warrior. And the other thing was, was as a healer, which I saw my grandmother do. And by the way, in ancient, ancient, most ancient traditional systems, the word healer and warrior were the same word meaning you never distinguished it. The warrior went to fight against evil, right? And the healer went to fight against death, very similar. And if you look at archetypes throughout history, you'll see the same thing. But what's happened is we've forgotten that. So my journey, if you look at from the time I landed in the United States, by the time I was 14, because of my ambition and because of I knew how much America had to offer, I got a full-time job as a 14-year-old kid working as a research fellow at what is now known as Rutgers Medical School using computers to understand why babies were dying in their sleep. Because the previous year, I was one of 40 students selected to go to NYU to study computer science. This is in 1978. And while I was at that school, understanding using computers to watch sleep patterns, I also was given the challenge to convert a system, which you may know about. Many people over the age of 40 know about this. Most people under the age of 40 never have seen this. It was called the inter-office mail system. It was a system of communications before the internet, before, you know, telephone, every office from the office of a small office organization, like a medical school, all the way to the office of the president or the office of the prime minister, always had a secretary in these organizations. The secretary had a inbox, an outbox on her desk, folders, file folders. She had a typewriter. She would write something called a memo, which had a very particular structure to, from, subject. Sometimes she'd make a carbon copy, right? CC, BCC. You get what I'm underneath her desk was a trash can on her desk were paper clips. If, if she was going to hire someone, the boss would dictate a letter. It would go in the drafts folder. She would retype it. 
They would attach the resume of the person, CC 20 people. If she had to CC 20 people, she'd be typing for a couple of days, okay? Every carbon copy. So I was asked to convert this entire system of the inner office mail system, which was a medium for communication into the electronic form. And what was the problem I was solving? The problem was here were women who were relegated to the typewriter and the old white guys in their lab coats never thought women could use a computer. They thought this was an impossible problem. They wow. had simple text messaging. Okay, that's not email. So here I'm a 14 year old kid. I had great respect for these women. I made up all the feature list. And Dr. Michelson, who was my mentor at that lab, gave me the opportunity to use a computer system, challenged me, and I converted all those hundred features into the electronic version in 50,000 lines of Fortran code, which is very hard to do in 8K of memory. And I named that system email. So first person to ever do that, named it email. And when I came to MIT, it was on the front page of MIT among three kids who had met, this is an 81, who three out of the 1,041 kids on the front page, they highlighted my invention and others. I went to the president of MIT's house in 1981, and he said, you know, you should copyright your invention because the patent office or the Supreme Court was did not understand, they weren't recognizing software patents. They didn't understand what patents were. So that's what I did. You know, my parents weren't wealthy. I wrote away for all the copyright forms. You had to send in all your code. It wasn't just simply putting a C with a circle. And on August 30th, 1982, a young American teenager gets the first US copyright for email, the system, recognizing me as the inventor of email. So I did that before I came to MIT. Being a very humble kid, forgot about it. But remember, we're not talking about the simple exchange of text messages. Then went in and out of MIT, did four degrees in various fields of engineering systems, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, design, my PhD in biological engineering over a period of 30 years, taught at MIT and one of the important things to understand is I also started seven companies going in and out. I wasn't like I did my all my like a nerd. I did all my four degrees, you know, and made a lot of money doing this. But in 2011 is when my dear mom is dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And she had saved all of that artifacts from 1978. I never talked about the invention of email. I was very interested in medicine, right? And I was on the front page of MIT's newspaper for inventing many other things. I was one of their golden boys. And while at MIT, I was also a fighter, okay? I organized protests. I uh, made sure MIT got out of their racist investments in South Africa. I organized the food service workers. I made sure more women came to MIT. I produced our own, you know, revolutionary newspaper. So I learned all of this in addition to being a good student and pretty productive. In fact, when I got my PhD, there's a picture of me the only uh, student to protest US out of Iraq. Half of the crowd booed me and the other half gave me a standing ovation. So I've been a fighter all my life, concomitant with being a scientist and a technologist. And those two, two things aren't supposed to mix, right? You're supposed to be a nerd. You're, sp you're supposed to look all screwed up. And then you're an inventor. Well, in 2011, when my mom was dying in a suitcase, she'd saved all this stuff. The editor of Time Magazine, the technology editor looked at it and he said, wow, you invented email. And he wrote an article, you can look it up, called A Man Who Invented Email on November 11th, 2011. And three months after that, on February 16, 2012, the Smithsonian received all my papers. It was a great honor to the National Museum of American History. A young Washington Post reporter wrote, wrote an article called A Man, uh, Dr. Shiva Idre, honored as the inventor of email. Well, that's when the proverbial shit hits the fan. Because up until then, over those 33 years, I wasn't promoting myself. 
during those years, the establishment had found some guy who was working at a company called Raytheon, the biggest defense contractor, who was using the at logo as their logo. And they have put forward this guy who basically wrote 15 lines of code to add text to the bottom of the file, which they had conflated to mean email. He never created that term. And so when my, and, and Raytheon was making hundreds of millions of dollars in the cybersecurity market with this brand equity. Well, when my stuff went to the Smithsonian, it was like a new skull was found in Africa, go, tracing back the history of email to its true origin in a small medical college in Newark, New Jersey, where I solved a civilian problem, which was secretaries moving from the typewriter to the keyboard. That's the origin of email, right? Well, so essentially they, they like stole your, well, they didn't your idea by like altering it just a little bit. They didn't even say, no, no, it's, it's a little, it's even worse than that. They didn't even alter it. They didn't, what they had done uh, over those 40 years, 30 years, right? They had done simple text messaging, which is not email. They had conflated that to mean email. You see what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. um, and I never said I could, that goes, if, so, you know, on those old computers, you could send simple text messages. That's not email. Email, when you go to email, what do you see? Inbox, outbox, folders, da, da, da. That comes from the inner office mail system. And it is the vehicle for collaboration and communication. That's what I created. Now, the interesting thing is, a friend of mine, uh, or an acquaintance of mine, Kevin Ryan, who was the founder of Business Insider, when he looked at it, he goes, oh my God. He goes, there's no question you created email. He goes, the issue is why is there even a controversy? Mm. I mean, do I have to be a blonde haired, blue eyed kid? You know, with, you know. So they, they're they talking about like AOL, like instant. No, 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 no. It's not even that. <laughs> it's just simple. The basic version is a caveman version of Reddit. Okay. Where you're adding text to the bottom of a file. Okay. Okay. That's not email because, and they use the at logo. You see, just like you use in Twitter. What I created was a system. I called it email. I named it email. I'm just the one who came up with the term, wrote all the code, and I have the copyright. Where's the controversy? The only difference is I didn't promote it, right? But when my stuff went into the copyright office in 1981, 1982, and we were very open. We weren't like Steve Jobs hiding everything we were doing at medical college. IBM came through there. HP came through there. So, and you have to understand, you don't need the internet for email. You don't need the internet for email. The early email systems ran on local area networks and offices. You'd have 10 computers wired together and you'd run a software program like ours. We have hundreds of people using it. You don't need the internet. What happened in 1993 was when the, when, um, the World Wide Web came, which was a user interface on what was called the internet. Then you had people starting to replicate versions of the inner office version of email. You follow? AOL, Hotmail, et cetera. But email existed before that. It was a business to business application. It became a business to consumer application after 1993. But it wasn't invented by the military. It was invented by a 14 year old boy in Newark, New Jersey. I feel like we need to get back to that. What's that? I think it's a, to have, have um, communication systems off of the internet. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that. yeah. So these were wide area networks. There were private networks. And when, so, but the reason I want to share this with you, that was my journey to systems. You say email mm -hmm. is a system. Email is not the simple exchange of text messages. Okay. I've never claimed to have invented that. That would go to, you know, Samuel Morse. But the point is, you know, for me, 
here I was exposed to the caste system in India. And what I found out was even all my four degrees at MIT, all the great inventions I'd done, the instant that I said, no, 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 email was done before I came to MIT. That throws a wrench into the hegemony of the military industrial academic complex who want to tell everyone that all great innovations must come from their centers of power. You know, you could be a dropout out of Harvard, Bill Gates, that's cool, or Zuckerberg. But this was done before I came to MIT. You see, if I dropped out of MIT invented email, that would have been cool because MIT could have taken credit for it. This is the most utmost form of racism you can think about, not just racism on color, but racism on who's intelligent, who isn't. We have a modern caste system in America today. That's what we have. You see what I'm saying? Because the problem they have with someone like me, I got all the degrees at MIT. I've taught there. I've won every award. But I was supposed to be a good, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, houseboy. Okay. Okay. To them. Right. They thought, okay, if they put Shiva on the front page of MIT, they could have inclusivity and diversity. Right. But I never forgot where I came from, Riz. I came from poor village farmers and working class people in New Jersey. They're the people that I fight for. You see, so my journey, so after 2012, when I, so you see all these articles come out calling me a fraud, a liar, an asshole, a dick, amazing by Gawker Media, who was a clickbaiting company. And it took me four years to find a lawyer. All these defamatory articles. People say, ha, 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 Al Gore invented the internet. You claim you did email. No, I actually did invent email, you whatever, right? And it took me a while to go into my own journey to realize, wait a minute, I got to stand up for that 14-year-old boy. It's a very interesting thing for me fighting all those years for others, women, workers, etc. It was a very different, deeply personal journey for me to stand up for myself, right? Because did you ever find a lawyer or did you? I did, yeah. So, so in 2016, I found Charles Harder. Uh, 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 he had just sued Gawker Media and another thing. Charles looked at the data. He goes, oh, my God, you invented email. He took my case on contingency. We sued Gawker. Within 30 days of my filing my $35 million lawsuit, they claim bankruptcy. And here's a karma. I got, um, I got appointed the co-chairman of the bankruptcy committee to sell them. We sold them. I got about a very large settlement. Not only that, they were forced to remove the three defamatory articles. Okay. Good. So, but none of the mainstream media would cover this because the heart of this is we're talking about where does innovation come from? By the way, a 14-year-old boy invented TV, Philo Farnsworth in Franklin, Idaho, very similar circumstances. You see, great innovation does not come from big academia, big military and big corporations. It comes from the triangle of, in my case, a loving family, public school teachers who supported me. I mean, they changed the rules so I could travel to Newark, New Jersey in the middle of school and work a full-time job and mentors. That's the real triangle of innovation. And that's what Philo Farnsworth had. By the way, it was a Michigan mechanic who created the technology for the automatic wind wiper, which a bunch of professors at MIT stole from him. Okay. So the origin of great innovations is not from the center. It comes from outside. So I had learned here. I'd learned about the caste system here, here. And I'd gone through this journey. I, I created pro, uh, you know, many companies, but when the events of the email invention took place and the, serious abuse I took. I mean, this, by the way, there were blog articles saying this curry stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. Okay. This is in 2012. Yeah. You can go look it up. One of the blogs. Okay. And because 
you know, the thought is that an inventor must look a certain way. You must look all screwed up. You must be all hunched over. You must wear glasses and you must have a beard and you must be drooling, right? That's a nerd. Only nerds can innovate or people who drop out. Surely, I mean, and the, the problem, you know, I was a star athlete and I did this stuff. So they've segregated what you must look and feel and smell like. So in the middle of that controversy between 2012, 13 to 2000 or 2016 to, you know, when it got resolved during that period, Walter Isaacson, you can look him up. He's your typical uh, white liberal, okay? Uh, who wrote the, the, the book on the white elite liberal who wrote the book on Steve Jobs. In the middle of this controversy, he writes a book on innovators of the digital revolution. A big, thick book. You can go look at it. He's, he's former head of the Aspen Institute. I think he was head of the Wall Street Journal. He knows this controversy is going on, quote unquote, manufactured controversy. And in the book, he talks about all these people have invented many things leading up to the, you know, a, a part of the digital revolution. Steve Jobs is in there, right? Sergey Brin is in there. All white people, in fact, white women, but not one example of any brown person, yellow person, or dark-skinned person. And he does, he leaves out the invention of email. You're saying his book is all white men? Yep, white men and one white woman. Go look it up. I'm going to. Yep, and he attributes all great innovations to the triangle of the military industrial academic complex. And he heralds a guy called um, Vannevar Bush, who was a president of MIT in the 1940s, who left MIT to start Raytheon, which was the biggest missile defense company. And that was the day many, many scholars say when academia really ended, because here was a president of MIT who left to start a military um, you know, company, right? So what you have is that, and uh, you know, Eisenhower talked about this in 1962, right? In his famous speech he gave, 63, when he left, he goes, we have the military academic complex. Senator Fulbright called it the military industrial academic complex. So for me, this isn't just theory. I was living it. Wow. The level of abuse I took because merely I put my stuff into the Smithsonian. And who did this? These were racist, white, liberal men. Okay? Wow. The people who control Wikipedia. The people who control most of the institutions, acad academic institutions in the world. So for me, you know, it was like we were back in the caste system. That is what America has become. And people need to pull their head out of their asses and see this. This country is a modern day caste system. So you can be. And it all really comes down to their ability to like manipulate the narrative. Well, it comes down to that, but it comes down to something deeper. And let's talk about the second part. Okay. So if you understand my journey, my, so by the way, so I've gone through this very interesting journey of understanding things, building. I mean, I, I created, by the way, I had a second life with email in 1993. I was a guy who created that AI technology to automatically read and sort email for the White House. I built that to around a $280 million company. Okay. In value. We created our own data center. I, I run a company today called Cytosolve which is a technology for modeling the human cell on the computer. We're going after every major disease. So it's, it's not like I needed the invention of email, you know, to define me. I've done many, many things. It's not a one hit wonder, but, but my entire focus was understanding how systems work, molecular systems at the body, medical systems, speech systems, political systems. But in 2000 and 
seven, when I finished my PhD, I took two years off, went back to India to really understand how was my grandmother able to do that. In fact, the front page of MIT had this huge article armed with four degrees, Shiva Idari returns back to India to study, you know, Eastern systems of medicine. They were quite, and it, it was called East meets West. After I finished that research, I found out that the science of systems, there is a scientific basis to understand systems. And you can use that science to understand how your body works. You can use it to understand how political, it's the, it's the science of everything. So when I came back, I had discovered this major breakthrough. I started teaching a course at MIT. We used to have 200 people show up, people of all different backgrounds. And that was, and that became a course I created called Systems Health later on. Well, in 2012, when I saw this nonsense going on, people attacking me when I did invent the first email system, I said, this country has become a freaking caste system. And uh, right. And by 2008, 17, 18, after I won my lawsuit, I decided to run for U.S. Senate. I said, typically innovators, technology scientists don't run for office. But what I was seeing in this country, this country was becoming a de decrepit banana republic caste system. So I ran for office um, as U.S. Senate uh, in Massachusetts. And you would have think you would have thought the Republican Party, which supposedly cares about meritocracy and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, would have embraced me. Uh, and and um, uh, instead, they found they the Republican Party had their own anointed guy, a doofus, who was a failed sign salesman who had photoshopped a picture with Trump. All right. That was their person. They didn't want someone like me even being in the Republican Party. So I ran as an independent against Elizabeth Warren. Our slogan was only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. We had volunteers all over the country, all over the state. And we got about 100,000 votes as an independent, five times more than any US Senate candidate. And they illegally kept me off the debate stage, Republicans and Democrats. So in 2020, I decided to run as a Republican again. And this time we had 3,000 volunteers on the ground, 3,000 volunteers. We had 10,000 lawn signs, 20,000 bumper stickers, 14 major billboards. The other guy the Republicans found to run against me, this guy was a complete idiot. He was nowhere to be found. I never saw a lawn sign, bumper sticker, nothing. He was one of their boys and they ran him. So to be the designated loser, because the Republicans and Democrats work hand in hand. Anyone today in 2021, who thinks the Republicans and Democrats are different or Trump and Bernie are any different are basically adolescent in their, in their brain. Okay. And that's what we're trying to pound away. So, and our movement was based on the slogan, truth, freedom, and health, but it's not a slogan. You see that concept, truth, freedom, and health is a systems scientific basis of how to build a movement. Why do I say that? Everyone, by the way, let me, let me play the video. I'm going to play the video right now. Okay. So basically, so what's happened is we have now created a platform to educate people on system science. So you don't need to go to MIT, but you know what? The elites know the secrets of system science. And if we don't learn it, we're never going to be able to build a movement. We're going to be running around chasing Trump or the Patriot Party or the MAGA Party or, you know, AOC or Bernie left and right. So let me play this. So uh, I think you understand the, mag the importance of what I'm, I think this video will capture it really well. Let me bring it up. Um, so by the way, people listening, if you go to vashiva.com slash join, um, this is our platform that we're building, which is a three-part platform. The goal of this platform, 
I think, let me stop this again, is to educate people on three things that why we need to take a systems approach. We teach people system science so they don't need to go to MIT if they can't get in, okay? It's basically 40 years of knowledge brought together. Let me bring it over here. And from that knowledge, then we've created technology where people can build community. We've created the equivalent of Facebook and forums in our data center, which I created, which I've contributed. And then we're teaching people, which I'll come back to, how do you build a movement on any one of these issues? So let me play this and this will probably make sense to you. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within and the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you deep down inside them that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. And this reality is what people need to wake up to and we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left wing, right wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders we don't need followers like social media, we need leaders, but they, they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. We got to train people. First with understanding what a system is. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, right? Talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas, hypothesis into truth which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work united. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people. They have to go local, to go local, to go local. Fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics. And there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you. The Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the left wing, Bernie Sanders. Oh, he said something. Or Robert Kennedy. Scumbags. Or you're going to follow, you know, some right wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that 
there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees that screwed him up. His own quote-unquote people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum. People can go to bashiva.com, and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics, and I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people two years of MIT control systems. I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it. Anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I got to build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, be, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaigns expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on B as in Victor A. Shiva, BASHIVA.com, so people can sign in. They can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, and health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to BASHIVA, Victory America Shiva, BASHIVA.com. So I hope that helps you understand, okay? The bottom line is, the bottom line is, we're not gonna have any change unless people have a respect for what it takes to actually build a movement. And so that leads me to really wanna share with you and your audience what's occurred in the United States. If you go back, look at the 1900s, all over the world, there was a bottoms up movement among working people, people who actually worked and toiled in factories all over, be it in Russia, be it in India, be it in uh, England, be it in the United States. And a lot of it in the United States was led by women. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, it was women in factories who led the movement for fair wages, elimination of child labor, nutrition. And that movement picked up massively in the 1920s. And the elites in this country were so scared of ordinary working people militantly organizing bottoms up, independent of Democrats or Republicans. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a racist. He was an elitist. And so both parties were. But when working people ro rose up by the 1920s and 30s, the elites were so scared that they were going to lose it all. And all of this has been wiped out from American history, by the way, that they gave, they threw reforms. Okay, we'll give you, we'll eliminate child labor. We'll give you vitamin A. We'll build you know, we'll do sanitation, we'll do hygiene, right? And it was because of that why, why infectious diseases dropped from, four, for example, measles from 14 out of 100,000 to, you know, one out of 2 million, long before, by the 1945, long before, you know, the measles jabs came in 1963, okay? Again, students don't study this in history, particularly your generation is not even afforded this knowledge. But what they are afforded, no, it's, it's true, unfortunately, you know, it's not your fault, okay? You guys are all screwed, okay? <laughs> no, no, it, it's all been about entertainment and entertainment and entertainment and the Kardashians and idiots like that, okay? 
and as though they're going to save the world or the Trumps or whoever, Ivanka Trump, et cetera. But that's what we have. We do not have an educated group of people anymore. It's all about a, one quick wonder, getting on social, getting some views and et cetera. But those elites in power, so, so what happened was because of the rise of that working class movement bottoms up, which scared the shit out of the elites, they were forced to give a lot of concessions. So what did that do? Well, during 1945 to 1971, if you look at the United States, we had the highest growth in GDP per capita. The entire economy grew and every income group did well. As GDP grew, every income group grew in their incomes. So the elites didn't want to give this. So starting you know, in the 1970s and actually a little bit early in the 50s, they started saying, we need to screw up these working people's movements. We need to make sure this never, ever happens again to us, ever. And so what did they do? <laughs> what they did was they, the left and the right, both dogs, you know, both, I shouldn't say any dogs are good, good things, both, you know, insidious <laughs> groups. Okay, I have two dogs here, they're good guys, it's wrong to them. But both groups, one group, started basically saying, if working people ever organize bottoms up, we're gonna call you a communist. That was a McCarthy era of the 1950s. They went after any time. So they said, oh, you're a Marxist, you're a socialist, da, 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 right? They branded people and you saw that recently. And then the left said, oh, this is great. And they worked with the right. We will create unions, top-down unions, not bottoms up, powerful unions, independent decentralized unions. So by the 1970s, all the real spiritually, you know, I mean, the, the ferocity of those bottoms up movements were destroyed and they were taken over top down unions by, you know, the Democrat Socialists of America, the Bernie Sanders, the Elizabeth Warren types and the right and the left work together. They do not want working people organizing bottoms up ever independent of both parties. So, so by the way, if you look at between 1940, and 1971, the wages of all Americans grew, all Americans. But starting in, and during that period from 1941 to 1971, you can go look at the data, probably close to 100 million American workers participated in strikes, stoppages. You know, they wouldn't take shit from the elites. But after 1971, the unions, the left and the right struck deals. Oh, we'll make sure our workers never protest. We'll make sure we won't have strikes. So starting from 1975 to today, the total number of people who've ever participated in strikes is maybe a couple of million. It's fell by a factor of a hundred. This is the real issue. It's not aliens. It's not like bots. It's not like all this shit people want to talk about because that is all distractions. So the elites love it when people are talking about like bots and reptiles and David Icke talking about this nonsense. They don't want us to follow the money. And when you follow the money, you come back to a very simple thing. The working people, the working class has been screwed. If you, so in the last, between 1975 to today, great Rand report was done. If GDP has grown, you know, but it is only, the incomes have only grown for the 5%. For the bottom 95%, our incomes have gone down. So if you make a $50,000 today, you should actually be making $120,000. That Delta, like in 2018 alone was $2.7 trillion in difference, just in one year was transferred to the elites. So we have had socialism. It's been socialism for the elites. This is a central issue that they do not want you talking about. And maybe it'll take the guy who invented email, the son of poor you know, farmers 
to connect the dots. And this is what system science allows me to do. It allows me to look at political history. It allows me to look at infectious diseases and connect the dots. That's system science. Now the elites know this. They don't want a guy like me who got all those degrees at MIT teaching people this because what needs to happen today, and this is what needs to be done, is we need to build a bottoms up working people's movement. But this time, because we all slept on our butts, people are fat, dumb, and happy for the last 50 years. The elites have gotten very strong. They understand systems theory. They understand system science. They have their nerds watching everything we say, watching which direction we're gonna go in. So the only way forward is a three-part process. Number one, people need to understand system science. And I'm not here to convince everyone. This is for you. That's why when people, when I tell people, go to vashiva.com slash join, I'm not here to sell you anything. What I know is that our liberation right now in this moment in history stands on us building a bottoms up movement. That's what it comes down to. But in order to do that, there is a physics. You have to begin with education. That's what I say, you gotta get educated or you will be enslaved. Don't think it's just gonna happen, waving a Trump flag. Trump sold us out. Bernie sold us out. Bernie sold out the young college students. Trump sold out all the American working class. They needed Trump for the last four years to do the great reset and they placated everyone. Oh, something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen. Trust the plan. Trump's a ninth dimensional chess player. No, he had Jared Kushner in there who was running the government. And he did and it. Bill Barr. Yeah, and Bill Barr. But Kushner was the one who got Trump elected. Kushner, I mean, these people are slime balls. Kushner got into Harvard because his dad gave 2.5 million, okay? Kushner was running slums here in Somerville. They need low interest loans, follow the money. Obama needed low interest loans to help his banker friends. The interest rate should be around seven to eight percent right now because the bottoms up working class and and small businesses. We're actually productive. You know who's not productive? The big businesses. That's who, who's not productive. So what we have is we have elites who are running businesses which need low interest rent loans. That's what we have. And so you have some young people which have a lot of passion and older people. But I'm telling you, the 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 tech, you know, yes, I invented email. Yes, I invented Cytosolve, Echomail. Those are all great inventions. But my greatest innovation is a platform for truth, freedom, and health. It is a innovation. It is a three-part innovation. That's why I tell people, go to vashiva.com and you better join because this year I want to have 50,000 trained truth, freedom, and health warriors. Like, you know, like the Navy SEALs of political movements. But it begins with knowledge. It begins, there is a nuclear physics to build a movement. It's called system science. Then with that core science, whereas what we teach people is there are three principles, scientific principles. You have to have freedom, truth, and health. You have to fight for all three. You can't just be a yoga Nazi, eating well and fighting for organic foods. You can't just be a 1A, 2A person, a quote unquote redneck wanting your guns. You can't just be a nerd talking about innovation. We need all those three movements to come together because without freedom, you can't have truth without truth. You can't have health, and without health, you don't have the strength to fight for freedom. Principle one. Principle two, it has to be bottoms up. It has to be decentralized. And principle three, we have to understand the controlled opposition, the not-so-obvious establishment, like the scumbags I talked about, from the Kennedys to the Bernie Sanders, and unfortunately now to the Trump. Trump did not fight. He had four years. He didn't get rid of a guy like Fauci, right? He Do you didn't. want to talk about your your um, lawsuits at all? Yeah. So look. Yeah. So I mean, we, you know, uh, you know, when what I saw occur to me, I realized this country had become a banana republic. Um, the elites 
are the true racists, the liberal elites like the Zuckerbergs and the Gateses and the Jack Dorseys. They're the real elites. So in September 1, I knew we won the election. I mean, people, the word was landslide. And in the, the, the hand-counted county where all the ballots primarily were hand-counted, I win by 10 points. And every other county was 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, to a guy who was nowhere to be found. No one even knew his name. And this was the Republican Party who did this, not the Democrats, against a fellow Republican. The Republicans are as scumbags as the Democrats. Two, so again, anyone listening out there, if you, if you keep thinking you're a Republican or a Democrat or the conservative or liberal left or right, you have your head up your ass. You really do. I can't, you know, the more and more I think about it, I have to, that's the best scientific way I can describe it. You have your head up your ass. It's a scientific, it's a scientific <laughs> description, okay? Because that's what the elites want. They want you playing WWF wrestling, the distraction. And that's how they divide us. Oh, I'm a Republican. He's a Democrat. I'm black. He's white. And you can see that what's happening in Georgia right now. This guy, Brian Kemp, who's a complete scumbag, right? So the Republicans will take the position. We need voter IDs. Mail-in ballots suck. And the Democrats will say, oh, you know, we have voter suppression. And so they pit blacks against whites. But the real crime scene is the fact that state election directors are certifying voting machines which have a feature on there to weight your, your, your votes. And I was the one who brought that out in our, when I found this out, I said, oh my God, my, my votes were multiplied by two thirds. I did all the math. We filed our lawsuit, unrebutted. They attempted to dismiss my lawsuit. Guess what? The judge denied their motion to dismiss. It's a federal judge. No media has covered this. Trump hasn't called me and said, thank you. Cause he doesn't want to cover this. He made $300 million talking about a fake election issue. That's what they did. They misled the American working class. And then what you have is the second lawsuit I filed is when I went on Twitter and I said the Secretary of State has deleted ballot images, which are by law, according to 52 USC 2071, supposed to be preserved. I've never been, you know, suspended for weeks on Twitter or thrown off like this. But the day I showed that and the day on September 25th, when the Secretary of State acknowledged they deleted the ballot images and I tweeted out the emails, I was thrown off for three weeks in the middle of a federal election campaign. Who the fuck does Jack Dorsey think he is? And by the way, Jack Dorsey is a racist scumbag. Let me tell you why. Another scientific term to describe him. This scumbag, Jack Dorsey, went to India with women saying he's against the Indian caste system. A few years ago. Well, I'm a low caste as you can get a dark skin, black skin Indian who's running for US Senate. He threw me off Twitter. Meanwhile, he's India with his stupid freaking beard, acting into his earring, talking as though he cares for Indians. This is a hypocrisy as much as you can get. Then you have Jack Dorsey saying that he cares for black skinned Americans. Bullshit. He threw off a US Senate federal candidate, but he didn't do it. Here's the important point that's coming out in our lawsuit. He is just a doofus of the government. The government, when I put those tweets up, it turned out the government of Massachusetts contacted him to throw me off because I was exposing the government, okay? And so you really found that out yourself. You you were able to like- I filed the lawsuits myself. Where the problem was, like why you got thrown off and then you were able to target that problem. And so that's really why I think 
correct me if I'm wrong, you are so successful in your lawsuits compared to Trump's is because well, you're, you're well, going to where the root of the problem is instead of. Well, there's two there's two issues here. Trump does not want to win. He's surrounded by nincompoops. And he's so those people that are around are all establishment people. OK, this was all a game. The 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 people like Trump and the marketing people around him, they know, look, this is something everyone should listen to very carefully. If you go back to the 1900s, the entire goal of all of this Riz, is not about winning for you and me. This is about ensuring that the, the working class never organizes bottoms up. I'll repeat this again. They want to keep us distracted and divided. So in 2008, a lot of people who are Trumpers now voted for Obama, a black guy. Okay, oh, he's gonna help us. Well, what did he do? He sold every, everyone out. I'm sorry, in 2000. In 2008, he basically you know, gave a, bl a, 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 a blank check to Goldman Sachs and all the big bankers. So they kept the interest rates artificially low. They knew there was gonna be a great reset. And you can, this is not only me saying, because the pot was boiling, meaning that their model of the economy of keeping interest rates low wasn't working. So when they looked globally, they needed to do a great reset starting in 2016. They probably said, well, if you believe elections are selections, which is what they are in this country, what you really have they needed Trump in office. They needed a white guy now who would talk bombastically about his support for the working class. And what happened over the last, because the American working class is the only force on the planet earth right now, which can be a force against the establishment. Why? Because they have the second amendment. The Indian working class doesn't have weapons. The Chinese working class are basically just slaves. The Australians, I mean, they were all right. So they needed Trump to say something's gonna happen. That's what the cue was. What did they do? Something's going to happen. Trust the plan. Trust the plan. Trust Trump. Well, nothing happened. I gave him money. You probably gave him money. We all supported him. And it took a while to wake up and realize he was the not so obvious establishment of the right wing, just like Bernie was of the left wing. You see, you have the eagle with its head, which is the establishment. It's got the two shoulders, which are the obvious establishment. You got the Mitch McConnell's on one hand. You got the Biden's and the Clinton's and the Obama's. But you know how they keep the working people distracted. They need the wings. Okay. Trump barking something against Mitch McConnell, right? Acting as though he's the opposition or Bernie and AOC. This is what is WWF wrestling. That's what we experience. People need to get their head out of their ass. And one way to do that is to hear what I'm saying. But the other way, once you get your head out of your ass, now we need to go fight. And the way you fight is we need to understand the science of systems. So everyone listening, if you're serious and you really get this, which means you're, you're now a conscious incompetent, not an unconscious incompetent. Unconscious incompetence are people who don't know what they don't know. But I can tell you that the elites, a lot of people I went to school with at MIT and people like Harvard, they know what I'm talking about. And they know what I'm saying is the real death knell to them, which is people need to get educated on the science of systems. And the way I've done it, you don't need to go to MIT for 20 years, 10 years. I've congealed that the technology in about three hours I can educate people. And then on our platform on VA Shiva, we've created our own underground independent of big tech community where you can talk, you can converse, you can create your equivalents of quote unquote Facebook, right? And then we give people stuff to do on election integrity. We have a team now doing detailed analysis on the ground. When it comes to masks, we teach people the science of how the masks affect oral health. We have a little card 
Do I have them here? Yeah, here's a card. See this card here? Here's one on the Beyond the Jab, and people are distributing these cards. This little card points them to a page that they can learn the science, and our volunteers are educating, our Truth, Freedom, and Health warriors are educating mothers, parents on the ground. Look, the future is offline. The future is offline. Luckily, I happen to have my own data center, which I've contributed to this movement. But anyone listening, you know, we're, we've talked a lot here about what is to be done. There is only one thing that must be done, which is people must become truth, freedom and health warriors. And I say this with all humility because I know what needs to be done now. And the first process, you must get educated on the science. And the cool thing is it's accessible to you. So that's what needs to happen. And then with that scientific knowledge, then we can start building community because you're going to feel very lonely once your consciousness raises and you understand what the hell is going on. And we've created that infrastructure. And then, then people can actually go and then start doing activism. And we've created those tools. We've integrated science. Look, on the election stuff, I didn't hire a lawyer. Most 99% of lawyers are dumb. They're not that bright. We can teach people how to fight for themselves. So we filed those lawsuits on our own. I don't know how many million Trump sent. Giuliani was getting $100,000 a week. So I want to go back to the point that you made about the the working class in America and how um, we have some advantages with um, the freedoms that we have, such as our Second Amendment and our First Amendment. And um, the First Amendment is is regarding one of the lawsuits that you're currently dealing with regarding the um, censorship of your speech. Well, it's, it's even more than that. The, the important thing, the historic thing, which I did a little video, yes, the historic thing about our lawsuit, our lawsuit is the first lawsuit on the planet earth that exposes that Twitter is an agent of the government. Let me repeat this. For all this time, we've heard the hoopla, big tech, big tech, big tech. That's a distraction. That's not the real issue. That's not the issue. Big tech. So Twitter is going to court. Is Twitter really going to court with you? What do you mean? Going, they're not going to court with us. We're taking them to court. Right. Like they're they, they're going to be in the courtroom with you. Yeah. In fact, the judge ordered it. Let, let me tell you what's yeah. the, the important thing to understand is this. When I filed my lawsuit, again, we did it alone myself. We exposed the fact there was an article written when I said, like, look, ballot images. You know what a ballot image is? Are you familiar with that, Ezra? Yeah. So they right? the ballot yeah. is scanned, an image is created. The image is what is um, counted through some AI on these machines, right? Well, you're supposed to preserve those ballot images for 22 months. The Secretary of State deleted them. I got, you know, they admitted they deleted. Oh, we don't have to save them. And they exchanged that in an email. When I put that up on September 25th, that's when I was thrown off Twitter. And because I was exposing the government violating federal law. So what did they do when I put those tweets up? Twitter didn't take me down. Look, I've talked about all up between September 1st and September 25th. I was using the word election fraud, talking about all sorts of stuff. But when I exposed the government, it turns out the government of Massachusetts contacted Twitter. You know how they did it? They have... Everyone should listen. They have a trusted Twitter partnership. Twitter, the government of Massachusetts is signed up as, go look at on their website as a trusted partner. So when they call Twitter, not like you or me, they have a bat, bat phone. 
Dorsey's people pick That's up something the, you always suspected, but you didn't know it was real until now. It is real. It can, so, so when I went, so first of all, in that lawsuit, judges do not even give you a hearing. Trump didn't get any hearings, right? Judge decided to hear me, big victory. Then it was me against three lawyers. I've never presented myself in federal court. Federal court, it's not like small business court. This is federal court. I'm in front and of you a- you taught yourself law. What's right? that? You taught yourself how to be a lawyer. I taught myself how to be a lawyer, right? But you know, as, as being in business, I've, I've been in courtrooms before with other lawyers, but I learned over the years, most lawyers are dumb as doorknobs as a lot of accountants are, unfortunately, okay? Because they don't watch out for you. And people, by the way, everyone should, I believe in kindergarten, they should be teaching people law. Every kid should learn law. We shouldn't have to rely on lawyers, okay? So what ends up happening is here in that three hour, four hour court hearing, I proved to the judge and in testimony, they admit they contacted Twitter. They have a twisted, trusted, twisted, a trusted Twitter partnership. No one has ever brought this out. Wow. How come Tucker Carlson didn't cover? Because he's part of the problem. All right. So this is a historic lawsuit. Then we also found out that the government also called, contacted the National Association of State Election Directors because this is going on everywhere. They also contacted Twitter. So I also dragged them into the lawsuit. So the judge then gave me a big victory. They told the government and NASCD that you can no longer contact Twitter. That's giving the terms of a TRO hearing. Big victory number two. Then more recently, about on March 25th, the judge ordered that Twitter needs to also come into the courtroom. And that's what I just filed a couple of days ago. We just served Twitter. This is the most important lawsuit of our time. And it's being done not with a lawyer. In fact, Clarence Thomas, if you just saw what just happened yesterday, he said he agreed, concurred with the opinion of the lower courts, right? But he goes, you know, we, we, we can't go after uh, Twitter because they have Section 230 immunity. But if the government is involved, we could have. That's what this case is. We have exposed the fact that the government contacted Twitter, but most importantly, Twitter is an agent. Twitter is an agent of the government. And this is what people need. We live in fascism. Don't use the word communism or socialism. It's not the real issue. We live in fascism. And that's what China and these countries are when the government and big corporations become one. This is why for four years, Trump didn't do anything against Section 230. He didn't issue, you know, you know, he didn't really go after any of this because the government needs big tech. The government needs big tech. They need big pharma. They need big media. They're all one. The only way forward is for working people to build our own independent movements. And the only force that's doing that is what we're doing with VA Shiva, Truth, Freedom and Health. There's no other force on the planet. There's no other force. There you go. I hope this was helpful. So to everyone listening out there, I expect everyone to become a Truth, Freedom and Health warrior. If you're serious, if you're not, you're going to just crash and burn. You're going to get burned out. Oh, we can't. And you're going to wake up 10 years from now saying, oh, well, they're so powerful and they're so strong. We can't fight the establishment. You know, I'm just going to go and live off the grid, you know, do my little organic garden, do my yoga, you know, that kind of shit. Okay. That's not going to solve anything. It's not. We live in an interconnected world. Working people must unite and fight, but with a scientific basis. That's it. All right, Rez.
Um, I got actually, I, 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 you know, I, I still run my companies and my business. This is like a labor, not only of love, but this is a mission thing that we do. And everyone should, you know, people want to say, Shiva, how can I help you? People want to give me money. I said, look, don't just give me money. Go support this movement. And when you support me, I'll give you education. That's what my great grandfather wanted. So, yeah, you can give me a lot of money because we're plowing all that into our own infrastructure, independent of big tech. But this is for you. When you contribute here, you're contributing for your noggin which has been made fat, dumb, and happy by the establishment, which wants you to, to, to be entertained, you know, not liberated. All right, Riz. You're uh, the best, Dr. Shiva. I appreciate yeah, get, it. Get this out. Get all your people, if they're serious, to become truth, freedom, and health warrior. I mean, I, have, I mean, they don't need to go to MIT for 20 years. Without yeah. this knowledge, we're never going to be able to fight the establishment because they look when you think about a, a nuclear bomb, you know what it really is? It was some guy called Einstein changed the theoretical framework. Oh, we have to be able to hit a neutron, you know, hit, hit, hit the nucleus and it'll create a chain reaction. OK, so before that, we were all burning down trees, right? We burned down a bunch of wood to get heat. Well, one little piece of plutonium here can generate more heat than billions of trees. How did that come about? Because of a fundamental theoretical discovery. Well, that is a discovery that I've made, that if we want to defeat the establishment, we must understand system science. Without that nuclear physics, nothing is going to happen. And then people are going to say, well, they're too strong. You can't do anything. We got to support one party or the other. The lesser of two evils bullshit, right? So anyway, it's up, up, to, up to you. All right, Dr. Thank you. Thank be you well. so much for coming on. Thank I you. appreciate be well. it. Yep. Be well. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right, everyone out there, I hope this is valuable. I want all of you to take the gift that we put together here to become a truth, freedom, and health warrior. You must get educated on system science. It is our only way forward. Without this knowledge and without that education, you'll be flailing. You'll always be wondering, oh, should I do this or that? The clarity of the education, the community that we built, and the path forward is what this is about. Without that, we're all gonna be enslaved. So it's really up to you to get educated or be enslaved. Thank you very much. Uh, later this evening, I'm gonna be doing a talk on a, the system of the immune system, but looking at a very cool molecule called glutathione, which occurs naturally in our body. We're gonna talk about how you can boost it, but it really supports immune building. Thank you everyone, be well.